What's up, humans? Luke Rain here, welcoming you back to the Human Music Podcast. This is episode 58, Dojo TV Producer Questions, Volume 2. We went live again on Dojo TV to tackle the best questions the chat had to offer us. Big up, chat! We touch on phrasing vocals and leads. New tools we're excited about, sound design, mud pies, arrangement exercises, and how to push through on music when you're out of energy. Make sure to support our sponsors, Dojo TV, free producer live stream classes from the producer Dojo Senseis, and where we recorded this episode. No reason not to be there. It's free and it's a dope community in the Discord. Uh, next, the weekly download, where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 230 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. A lot of the best skills I've learned as a producer came right there from the weekly download. An insane value. Next, guest practices, where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and you can learn some super high-level mixing and mastering skills from this dude. Your first class at guest practices is free. Uh, finally, Gangaroo Records Music Distribution, where you can get unlimited uploads for under 10 bucks a year. Get your tunes to all the goons with Gangaroo and get your music out there. All right. Without further ado, let's get on into the episode. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. Yo, Dojo TV! What's up, everybody? It is the Human Music Podcast, and we are back again, like we are every other Tuesday. But uh, how y'all doing? Put a put a little gif or something in the chat to let us know how you're feeling. We got some howdies. We got some howdies. We got some Clint Eastwood and SpongeBob. That's a good range of howdy emotions right there that's a wide range on a a scale from clint eastwood to spongebob how howdy are you feeling today please let us know in the chat also let us know if that makes no sense to you but what's up (laughs) i'm luke rain i'm here with my good people's tesco and rip kenny and we are here to answer your questions today or actually i guess your you guys right there and this camera up, right chat. here. Yeah, poke them. Big up. We're pointing at them. Yeah, we're live. What's up, Gus Class? Uh, that's my friend Gus. <laughs> Yo, so. That's good. What's it up, is. Chef Womp? Chef Womp, eating in the building. Yeah. Hope y'all, uh, hope y'all ready with some questions, because otherwise, the fuck are we even doing here? I'm scared. <laughs> um, I'm, Tesco was playing some guitar before we hopped on stream so you know if there's no questions i'm i'm down to just listen to him jam around a little yeah bit. do an improv sesh based yeah. off the chat mm-hmm. yeah i mean I they're mean, saying just howdy to... to start playing some country we'll yeah exactly. i was gonna say someone <laughs> posts a meme and then tesco has to come up with a riff that fits the style of the meme <laughs> all right we, we'll do that after though yeah <laughs> the good stuff the meat and potatoes before we get to the spice, you know? Amen. Yeah, this episode, we're going to be doing another Q&A. Because, like, 
you know, we got uh, we got a lot of good folks asking questions to us all the time, and we don't get to them enough. So we want to make sure we do that, but also let y'all live humans also get out there. Hey, uh, I got I got a note that on the live stream the uh, the volumes are a little different. Tell us how we did Turn on up. that on that Turn up. on that Turn up. change. Check check. Turn up one two one. Big two. up. Big up, chat. Big up, turn up, all the ups. Turnips. Mm. Turnip, turnips, other beets. root vegetables. Turning up, yeah. vegetables. Beets, potatoes, yams. I'm in. <laughs> Punch and pie. What's up, Nard? Uh, we don't have any Nard. What's up, Gus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so I guess since nobody's answered a, asked a question yet, I'm going to break out the handy-dandy listener questions Google Doc we always have running, and we'll oh, wow. start right there. Um, somebody on YouTube named Carrie McBride asked, so, like, I'd really be interested in hearing three music producers talking about pain every day by clipping. I feel it'll take three producers to detect it. Oh, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I should have read that question before I read that question out loud because that was uh, for a reaction video. <laughs> so what uh what we actually want to get on is abraham prado friend of the dojo friend of the pod uh, hey shout out what's up abe um asked uh talking about uh doing vocals and phrasing them like how do you make more with less and use silence as an instrument in your vocal work and i know at this point all of us are doing some vocal work so actually good timing on that question I want to hear what Tesco has to say first, because he's yes. he's our resident working the hardest on vocals right now. True. All right, but but so one thing I find is like being really intentional with if you actually want silence or if you want something that seems like silence and just really drastically pulls back but isn't quite silent. And finding those times when all these elements drop out to maybe explore another part of that mix cube that's further out back. So, you know, if you have a phrase that's very spacious, maybe you could have some sort of ad lib that just repeats the phrase and is way in the background, or you could fill that space with some sort of delay or something to give that vocal a different kind of feel in the mix, gives it a bit more articulation and dimension and just makes it feel a bit more 3D. So I find, you know, rarely do I actually want a total full silence for that quarter note or eighth note or however long. I typically want to take advantage, at least with the reverb tails and stuff dying off or the reverses or something. I want to, you know, use that as a moment to show off one more uh, kind of cool thing that vocal is capable of. And this also applies for drop basses, a lead synths, any kind of lead elements. Nice. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, any lead element that's not a vocal, a lot of these same rules still apply because, you know, it's the thing you're paying attention to. And, you know, as as uh, if you ever watch Rip Kenny's awesome summit video from last year, you don't want to fill up all of the space with your main thing because then you're just going to have this block of sound that never leaves. And if you leave strategic spots where it's not playing and uh, you get, you know, you get a rhythm to the on and off of it. And uh, 
Want to want to dive into that a little bit, Evan? Yeah, I, honestly, I just want to first of all reinforce that exact thing. Like it is so easy to just fill the space, especially with vocals. And, like the tendency when you're working in the DAW is just like fill everything up. All right, is there a space? Put something there. Like not necessarily the most beneficial. So just make sure that you're not thinking like that. You know, like you're you're remembering to leave as much space as you actually can because the more space you leave the more impactful the elements that are there uh become um so the question was vocal phrasing and and how to best approach it um first of all um painfully that's how <laughs> like it's it's difficult it takes a lot of writing and rewriting and trying it and no nah, it doesn't seem quite right and redoing it and it takes hours uh, so first of all, you got to be okay with, with that. Like rarely the first thing that you write and sing is going to be like perfect. Um, so you have to keep an open mind to the process and, and sing it, see how it feels and then adjust the rhythm and timing. Um, one thing that I, I think is important to note when you're, when you're writing vocals and you're thinking about how the, the phrasing between sections works um, it's always a good idea to like, if your verse is like long drawn out words and you get to maybe like a pre-chorus, maybe like up the tempo or feel of like how fast your vocals are coming um, or, or the opposite. Even if your verse is like kind of a lot of syllables, maybe in the pre-chorus start to lengthen things out um, in, yeah. in your phrasing, it, it makes each section more impactful and like uh deliberate sounding if you have those nice differences and like how you're presenting the vocal um in this in the separate sections and then um when you get to like the chorus obviously well you, you should you should keep in mind like the energy level of the section when you're thinking about how to phrase the vocals and there's many ways that you can like basically shorten uh, a phrase leave out some words or whatever to kind of like say the same thing but to fit your phrasing style and you'd be surprised when you when you sit down to write vocals the tendency is also to like almost write like complete sentences and it's just completely unnecessary to do um just think of like how it feels like does the does the ethos of what you're saying get across and then use the least amount of words to do that right um so those those are the two things that really came to came to mind when we we're talking about this. But just got to try it, see how it feels, and then and then just keep chipping away at it. Yeah, absolutely. Nard just dropped a comment in the chat. He says he's often found that some vocals may start before the beat, and there are impact words that ride with the swing of the music. You know, and that's that's a really good point. Like figuring out like you know where on the bar does your phrase fit and then using usually you want to use at least for sections and chunks of your song similar patterns inside of that phrasing so maybe in a phrase you start right on the kick your first word always happens right on the kick and then you like stop on the snare so dump it a bump 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 dump it a bump dump dump like you switch it up a little on the second half to give it a little vibe but that's like your general vibe is that every time the snare hits you stop 
you know, you stop saying your words. That's one example. But then people get to expect that. And then when you change it up slightly, it gives a nice variation to that pattern. But thinking about like not, you know, people think about like how to arrange the words inside of their rhyme scheme or inside of the the rhythm of it. But you've also got to think how to arrange specific silences, because like if you just, you know, neat, you know, so anybody can like talk all of the time, but it doesn't sound as cool as when there's like a spot, you know, to like you say something cool and then give the listener that half a second to like process what they just said. And like Tesco said, then you then you got a little hole. You can put a little ad lib. You can repeat the thing. You can, you know, accentuate or, you know, ex, you know, put a little exclamation point on it at the end. There's a lot of good ways uh, to, to make the, the lyric process and the phrasing a lot more interesting and a lot more intricate by specifically not talking all the time. <laughs> That's something I definitely had to learn as I went on. Amen to that. Um, one thing too, you can always go back and just delete every other line, starting with the second, and then just see what that sounds like. I think a lot of times, like it just feels wrong to leave a section so bare, but when you actually hear it, even if you don't want to perform it that way in the moment, when you go back and manually edit it and just hear what it sounds like with all that space, I found at least for me in those moments, it just like helped me hear the result, which made it that much more real to me and like made it sound better in a way, if that makes any sense at all. Mm. Absolutely. Definitely. And like, then again, like, just like you're saying on that, like say, say instead of having this, all these lines you wrote one after the other, after the other, just take, all of the lines, but just space them out a bar from each other. And then you have a place to like checkerboard in an instrument. Like maybe you say a line and then you do like a counter melody off of that in the space that you've now built yourself in an instrument. Mm -hmm. And and then you've got this AB thing. And now, you know, you don't have to write so many words to fill up your whatever space you have for the verse or the chorus. You've got this you know, this play and interchange between the words and the music. And that can also be really powerful. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, good question. So I think the, the, the first question that came in through the chat from, from good old chef Womp, what are the most exciting things you've found in the last two weeks? Um, I'll start with one that I actually found today. Um, it's it's kind of a simple one, but for my music, like I was I was I like kind of dropped my jaw, which is like if you have a really distorted kind of crispy high end that just it just is like a little brittle or a little too harsh. Um, if you have like Fab Filter Saturn, if you just take and split two bands and have you know maybe like between two and three kilohertz and up in one band and then every, you know, the rest below, turn that band off. And on that high band, use like, it's, I think it's like warm tape or whatever. I think it's like the, the default. But if you use the warm tape just on that high end, it like saturates it and distorts it like more, but it smooths everything out and makes it feel less like digital and like harsh and um, just makes everything like, way more very very way more stronger. yeah very very way more smoother -er. <laughs> er. and it doesn't it doesn't like muffle it 
which is the issue because if you take like a high shelf and just like bring it down and try and like tame it, it's like very noticeable that you've done that. It just it kind of feels like you've taken some life out of it. But doing this, it like it just tames it without ruining it. And I don't like it just has to do with I'm sure the analog modeling of whatever tape saturation, but it works really well. So if you make really distorted, loud sounds, that will be a game changer for you. Nice. Love it. How about you, Luke? This is uh, stuff we learned in the last two weeks, that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, man, I mean, they got uh, all the DuckTales on Disney+. Plus, So, you know, <laughs> you know that's, always, that's always cool. Hell I yeah. started watching that. But uh, on music that's stuff. That's the um, podcast over. Yeah, right? Drops <laughs> Mike, goes, watches more Duck tales <laughs> but um now nah, um one thing i've been playing with is uh, i got um pitch wheel uh from quick quack it's a plug-in that uh, did you Dylan did you did you did you intend on doing that talk about duck tales no, and then no, you got a just, quick quack thing I was, no. that's just that's a little <laughs> nah, i was just thinking about a sus. Uh, <laughs> you, i do like how that worked point. out though you're born for this bud i didn't quite catch that i'm glad you pointed that out <laughs> that is a little cool yes it was completely intentional <laughs> and i will take all the credit but um i i really do dig uh this plugin and one thing i like about it that the the made me go spend money on it is that Illgate says it's like the pitch plugin that leaves the least artifacts. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of different ways of doing pitch stuff. And one thing I really like about this is that since it's in a VST form, I can throw it on an entire group or on the entire master if I wanted to and automate it. And so like doing, you know, as opposed to like, you know, chopping the audio and like, you know, changing the pitch of each individual one and letting, you know, reason or for a lot of people, Ableton's algorithm, you know, hopefully make that a pretty good pitch shift. It's like everything's going as one, everything's bending continuously. Um, you know, I can draw in the automation curve I want on the entire group, which has been really cool. I've been really digging that. Um, I've, I've redone some intros and buildups that were kind of meh on uh, songs that I otherwise really like and realizing like, Oh yeah, the intro isn't really grabby enough. Let me see what I can do about it and doing some different things. And this has been one of the things I've been really digging. Um, and also it's got this cool functionality. It's got like gravity functionality and these different, like a, a few different weird settings on it. So like if you move it, and you have this setting on or off, it wobbles. And Chef Womp actually just dropped that in the chat. It'll like go, you know, like you move, you move the needle over here and it'll go whoop, 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 unless you turn that setting off. Yeah, it's really cool. So it's like, I'm I'm looking into getting uh, into that on Mud Pies um, mm -hmm. and seeing seeing what kind of weird wobbles and wiggles I can get on on various sounds you know see what that does on a sub see what that does yeah, on a lead ooh. see what that does on a vocal ooh. you know just get some whoa 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 like i'm, I'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm pretty pumped to dive into this that's let me, my let me, current nice. favorite plugin let me ask you is it is it like a transparent pitch shift like you know or does it or does it mess with the formants as well you know like when you pitch a vocal up and it starts to be like you know you know five to seven semitones it gets a little chipmunky I haven't dug super deep into it, but I, I think there's actually a second like half of it that you can kick out that actually has 
uh, a formant section. So okay. you can just shift the formants or you can shift them together, sure. which is pretty cool or opposite. So, you know, I've got like, you know, I, I had been doing stuff like this with little altar boy, but, um, and it w- I really like little altar boy for a lot of stuff. But one thing about it is that the pitch is not continuous. Like the formant is a continuous, like it's down to the point one, you know, gets down to a decimal place when you're turning it, but the actual like pitch stops on semitones. And so it's like, all right, that's pretty cool. But I, I, I like the ability to do the continuous sweep on, on, uh, on pitch wheel. <laughs> Sick. Super Tesco. Um, one thing I've been doing, oh, uh, Ableton Creative Extensions pitch hack is amazing. Shout out Stefano, uh, my boy here in my hometown for showing me that trick. One thing I've been doing a lot lately is using something, basically using plugins that kind of undo each other. So I'll use pitch hack to speed things up an octave at one fourth speed, and then I'll use LFO tool to slow it down. And then LFO tool has some like cool fade in modes you can mess with. Works really nice for vocals and basses. I also really like, uh, you know, you can mess with the audio. Use a different warp mode and like pitch it down or up an octave. Wait, how do you how do you boy to like reverse that? Sorry, not to cut you off. How do you slow things down with LFO tool? Uh, with halftime and pitch hack. Oh, okay. Uh, pitch hack and did then I half-time. say LFO tool? Yeah. yeah, I was wondering that too because you were showing us yesterday how you're messing with. Yeah, I know. I was with. like, did you figure something else out <laughs> Half time. from last night to now? My bad, my bad. Yeah. Uh, LFO oh, tool is really sick too, though. I definitely suggest using that. I use that all the time to give just like, if you have any sounds that are basically just sausaged, I'll just like give it a little wiggle. Yeah, with, that's a, with, that's huge. Yeah, that really helps. Um, but yeah, basically just like using plugins to like undo what the last one did. Sometimes you'll get really cool results. Like uh, in Pitch Hack, you have the reverse knob. If you reverse the audio and put the reverse up, it'll like do the reverses in different places. So it ends up giving you a totally different result. Stuff like yeah. that. Actually, speaking of that, one thing that I really like to do in, in Ableton is if you have like a vocal or something that you want to like glitch out, um, put it on play forward and repeat forward on beats mode, uh, like the two forward arrows and then pitch it up, you know, to, to where you hear like the timing of glitches that you like. Cause it, as you pitch it up, it like changes. Right. So until you get like a timing or rhythm of glitches, that sounds nice, consolidate it, pitch it back down with complex or complex pro. And then it's at the original pitch, but it has all those glitches. And then you can just like, taken like chop in little bits of that that you like into the main thing and mm-hmm. it'll have like a nice little way to spice up whatever you're working on nice That's like cool. a mini like a mini mud pie yeah by the way i just realized uh instead of lfo tool i think i meant to say little alter boy for the pitch stuff mm. so if you pitch the clip down then use alter boy to like put the pitch, pitch back, back up, up and distort it a bit yeah that drive, I really like the drive in Little Alter Boy. It's got, it's got a good vibe. Yo, that's such a, a underrated distortion too. Like, you can take the most basic, basic, basic like piano or string sound or whatever, 
and like put the formants up really slightly and distort it past 50% and the sound will like as it moves through specific octaves it'll fall apart in different ways and you'll get this like very like digitized like glitchy weird formenty version of the sound like you could take the most basic thing and make it sound unique with with that distortion it's really cool i'm definitely going to try that trick ASAP. yeah yeah yeah. ASAP. yeah i'll show you actually got to do man I, i'm gonna try a few of these things i've got to redo like a a vocal chop on a drop for a track that's uh that's confirmed coming out on a dojo on a hey. dojo on the remix uh ep Ooh. remix a dojo classic that me and shoes shouts out to shoes the hey, homie shout out getting settled in boise idaho the boy the boise <laughs> <laughs> the boy from boise uh but yeah, uh, let's cut to this next question. Shouts to Gus in the chat, Gus Class, who asks, how often do you make mud pies? Do you use mud pies in the middle of a daytime session or is it mostly just dedicated night sessions for this? Um, and then there's a part two, any recent VSTs or since you've been smushing sounds with the pies. We already covered that a little, but we can touch back on that at the end. Let's take the, that, those first couple of questions first. Like First, how often do you make mud pies? Um, I vary on that shit. I vary on that shit. Sometimes I'll make a few in a row. Sometimes I go a hot minute without making any. Um, so I, I've got no actual concrete answer for that. Anybody else have a real answer for how often they make mud pies? <laughs> how about you, Evan? You do yeah. more sound designing music. Yeah, I mean, I, like kind of like you though. It's I when I think I've mentioned it in the podcast a few times, but like when I have a nighttime session, it's like, what do I feel inspired to do? And sometimes I'm just kind of in a sound design kick and that's like the thing that I want to do. And I'll end up making a lot of mud pies for that. Um, but recently I've found my sound design sessions spent more making um, like really interesting presets with like racks and macros and stuff. So I have like a really nice instrument that I can use for a few different things in a few different ways, because I feel like when I'm in a writing session, I don't want to slow down because a lot of the stuff is like, you know, gritty, distorted, cool basses, but then it like has to fit like a melody or baseline for the stuff that I'm writing. And when I have to stop and like pitch things around and then, you know, you, some, some sounds do really well pitched around in audio and some just don't. Mm -hmm. um, especially I find when I've got like the gnarly or grittier stuff, like it doesn't love to be pitched around. So if I spend that time making like a really nice patch that I can use in a bunch of different ways, I'm going to get a lot of use out of that. Whereas like a mud pie where I, you know, spend some time and get a, like a big group of one shots, like the best of that mud pie and throw it together. Um, those are really useful for like, you know, interjections, but um, you can use almost anything for an interjection sound. Right. So and I've already I've already done so many of those. I have so many little things that I could use for that. Shouts out to it. the Get Dead Bass Pack available in your interjections galore. Place. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing for my time that I would be using for mud pies. Um, but there is an exception for when it's in a writing session and I have like a baseline. And I've, I've just kind of hit a wall for like something that is what I would 
you know, deem really cool for the baseline that I'm using. And I'll just take the MIDI from the baseline and set a timer on my phone and do 15 minutes of taking the best sound that I have that I like that fits the song currently and just going ham in serum and just generating a bunch of stuff that fits the baseline that I know is working in the song notes wise. And then just go back and like, you know, you have the loop of that MIDI and say like, I need the first bar to have something cool. And then like maybe the last two beats to have something really cool. And I'll just like, you know, use the loop function and then isolate that first bar and then sweep through all of the different, um, loop backs of that mud pie to find like which first bar is the coolest out of all these and then throw that in um which i find to be a really useful like i don't love stopping a writing session to do something like that but if i'm stuck and i need something cool that's got to fit like the notes like at i would say probably one in three one in two sessions i end up doing something like that just to kind of in- inject some freshness um into into the sounds that i'm using so that's kind of how i divide it nice yeah um um, i i want to just underline that bit that you said about like sometimes the best place to do a mud pie is when you've already got your loop you've already got like this is definitely the main thing of my drop i really like it and then i'll just go through the whole drop and i'll just do a mud pie on that and then go find the one shots, but then just pop them right into the spot they fit in. You know, it's like, you know, okay, doing, thinking about PVRD. Okay, here we presented, this is the main one. Need like a little variation in the second one, not in the third one, but then something extra crazy in the fourth one. And then maybe in drop two, do something trippy right at the beginning or like you think it's going to start the same as drop one, but then it does this weird pitch and, and delay thing that, oh that's crazy and there's no drums yet and then the drums hit and it drops back into the thing you were expecting like i I really like doing that i'm a big fan of that that's probably the most consistent single spot that i do mud pies aside from you know the odd nighttime session where that's all i'm doing today yeah and one one other thing that just popped into mind that i don't do as much but i've always loved the result when i do it it's it's an interesting one so um when Dylan and I were working on the Nazi punks remix, one thing that we did was we, off. yeah, we literally took our rough draft, like the rough mix of the track and mud pied the, the entire track, like the, the master what? just went through it a couple times, the entire track playing and like, you know, granulator and like pitching it around and just fucking with it. And then you can just take little chunks of that and like fit it into the main track and that because you have like drums and like a lot of stuff happening in the master, obviously um, you just get a lot of weird stuff that you'd never ever would have gotten unless you actually did that. But procedurally it's a bit strange to, to do though. Right. Because by the time you have like a full song, you're like, okay, here's my song. How do I just like, you know, polish it. Right. You don't think of like, I'm at the end now. How do I destructively like manipulate this and still fit it back into the track? It's kind of weird to think about it like that. So, um, doesn't always make it into my, my process, but it's a really powerful, powerful thing to do. If, uh, if you're stuck at the end, trying to spice things up. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And, uh, you know, that's uh, stuff I've heard like uh, Mr. Bill say too. like, mm. you know, glitch out, glitch out the master. Like there's no there's no rules. I know we like to talk about the five phases of making a song. You Phase one is the composition phase. Phase two is the arrangement. Phase three is details and transitions. Then the mix, then the master. But you don't have to do shit in that order. And you can do trippy, random shit at any point if you, you know, experiment, break rules, please. You know, we this is really useful to remember that all of these five things have to happen in some order. Like your track needs composition and arrangement and details and a mix and master. Sometimes like making rap beats, I'll often do a phase one, just super loop. Cool. I got nine sounds. They all work on top of each other. I will mix and master that super loop. It's eight bars. And I'm like, all right, now I know what this shit sounds like. It's really easy to arrange when I know what it sounds like. Cause it's like, I don't know. Will this shaker by itself work as a section? Well, it will now that it's EQ'd and has that sick reverb on it. Nice. But I, before that, yeah. I never would have thought to do that. Interesting. Uh, that, that's, it's funny to think of that as a creative technique, right? Like, because it is such like an engineering type thing. But I think, A, figuring out how the track is going to sound before that section is done does, does two things really well. The first and most important you're probably not going to feel like you need a bunch more stuff to fill it out once you've done that, right? It forces you to be like, how do I maximize the elements here? Yeah. And um, that that is that in and of itself is so useful to think about. So often, like, because you haven't treated the sounds that are there properly already, you know, add a delay to that pluck line that like fills out the space or whatever you're like thinking of like, do I need another pad or an ARP or something to fill it? No, just take the thing that you have and like use the tools that you know how to use to make that the full background element. Right. Um, and the yeah. other thing is it just reminds you that pretty much thinking of anything in a different way is, is a creative solution to get you out of being stuck. Right. Like, like we've talked about, like, you're not going to think your way out of whatever problem you have to try different stuff. And it's like pretty much trying anything other than what you're already doing. Like just listening to the loop is a good way forward. Um, that, that, that also just by itself is a really useful thing to keep in mind. It doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing as long as you're pushing forward through your listening to the loop that you have phase, you're going to get somewhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. absolutely. Um, on that note, on mud pies, uh, just to wrap up the question, uh, mud pies themselves, for me personally, I totally agree with what you guys are saying, and I do it once the phrase is actually fleshed out. Then I'll go through and I'll start mud pieing it. And um, you know, for a lot of people, I find they could actually make their initial phrase a bit simpler and then articulate it a bit better through mud pieing and stuff like that, rather than trying to make that initial phrase, the craziest thing. I like, um, that. but one thing I do really often, like almost every day is do a sound generation session. So kind of different from sound design. Maybe I'm just, you know, trying to invent new stuff here, but uh, mentally, I see it as a different thing because I'm not stopping to design the most perfect sound. 
typically what I do is I'll have like my generator, whether that's a synth or whatever, I'll have a resample channel and then I'll have another channel where I'm just storing all the samples. And in Ableton, you can just hit tab to go between the screens and I'll just put it on that third channel. That way you don't accumulate any garbage samples accidentally and pull them in. But what I do is I just keep resampling to that second channel and I don't stop too long to question which variation is better than the other. I really just aim to create a couple hundred samples, which is super, super doable. Um, you know, when without trying too hard and then I'll filter out the bad ones throughout the next couple of days as I'm using them. But um, yeah, with low effort, you could create like so many variations on these sounds. And oftentimes, like I'll take maybe a new sample pack I just downloaded, and then I'll Frankenstein all the samples in a way that is more in line with my style and like remix that sample pack for myself. Maybe I'll take like an 808 that I really like that I've been using a lot. And then I'll just go through Isotope Trash and Saturn and I'll just find like, all these like cool new distortions I could throw on it and like, you know, all these variations of the same distortion cranked at like different uh, parameters, you know, and um, I just find that way is a lot easier mentally to not have to think about it too hard. You don't get caught up in having to make the decision in the moment. Is this good or do I move on? And then you have hundreds of samples to reference against each other. And it makes it really, really clear which ones are the clear winners. And yeah, it's also if you have a like great five things. You're like, oh, this one's good. But if you have, you know, a hundred things, you're like, ah, those five all sucked. Yeah, <laughs> clearly totally. would I listen to them against these other ones. And oftentimes too, like sometimes it's the ones I thought were sick in the moment that I end up deleting later, and some that I overlooked in the moment that end up being like the ones. And the reason I really like this as well. Is because I really subscribe to the idea, whether it's in music or life or anything, like the the more limitations you willingly put on yourself, there's like a liberation and like self-expression within that. Like I don't necessarily think that you're meant to know or do all of the things. That's why like everybody here makes bass music and they don't really care about tuning a country snare, right? So by by really like going in on the rabbit hole of exactly what you like, whether it's like one snare that you've used in your hottest tracks, you should do a sound generation session on that and make like 50 variations of that snare. And you'll quickly start to realize how these really like little aspects of your production, whether it's just like one sample or, you know, one serum patch or whatever can yield like hundreds of different results from it and then each one of those can be like a rabbit hole in and of itself you know mm -hmm. yeah, amen so you touched on it a little by saying um like trash and um saturn or whatever you said uh, about which vsts you like smushing sounds with but to get to the mm -hmm. last part of gus's question what vsts do you guys like to use uh to you know to get this this sound sound an extra weird without hopefully without making it extra crispy and unusable so uh pitch hack and halftime like i mentioned earlier halftime is really cheap and pitch hack is free if you have max for live i really like those i really like quanta 
I really like Looperator for my mud pies. I like anything that has a oh, portal is really great too. Anything that has a bunch of effects chained together, anything that sounds quote unquote expensive, anything that makes me not have to try really hard. And that can just, for lack of better way to put it, just shit out all sorts of variations for me. And I say it like that because I am not thinking in the moment. I am fully in creative mode and then I edit and then I enter editing mode before I judge anything. So any of those effects that have like a bunch of effects in one, that's why I like trash. That's why I like Saturn. There's like multiple stages. You could do multiband and trash. You have different little modules within that. Um, yes. For specifics, pitch hack, trash two, and uh, uh, halftime for me. Nice. How about you guys? Evan? Yeah, this is going to sound like a really boring answer, but I almost do, I would say like 95% of my mud pies are just all in serum. Uh, like just taking and maybe making like a four bar long LFO that's just like the most crazy, ridiculous shapes, like really sharp, like pluck bits and then little bits that weave up and then tail down. And then you have like this long, like random generator. And then you have like other bits of other LFOs that are, you know, more sweeping modulations or whatever on a sound. Um, and then just screwing with that because I feel like doing that yields me because I know serum so well, like if I'm going for a certain kind of sound, I know how to get there just or get close in serum. And like, I just always end up with something that I can then slot into the track a bit better. I like using granulator. I like using portal. Um, but I find that when I start to use those like crazier things, I get something that has like such a specific use case that it's rare. I return to it and actually get it into a song. Um, when I'm just using like the, the tool that I probably know best in my DAW, which is serum. Like I, I just get to something cooler quicker. And there's something that ends up being more usable like for instance, granulator, I love doing mud pies in that. Um, you get just ridiculous, like crispy textural stuff, but it ends up being a little atonal. Um, and so I just don't find as much use for it. Um, but one thing for mud pies that is a synth that I do find super useful as of late is the last little bit of this question, which is my modular, which I figure might as well answer that little bit as part of this, because this is outside of serum, which is normally 95% of my mud pies. This actually is a good creative tool. So for anyone into modular, I'm just going to run through this stuff and explain what it does. Maybe it'll spark an idea for something you could create similar in your DAW. So the first thing is IntelliGel Scales, which basically takes CV and translate it, translates it into specific notes. Um, anyone that's not familiar with modular, a lot of like your pitch is just controlled by like big knobs and it doesn't, it rarely lands just perfectly on a note. So having this allows you to like get things and like pitch sweeps to land on specific notes within it. Um, then I have 
Psyche and CSL by Instro. Psyche is a quad saw oscillator that has like interval detune or like intervals and then global detune and FM. Uh, sounds really great. It can be a bit finicky sometimes if the oscillators aren't perfectly in tune, but then it also has like a nice quality to it because when they're not perfectly in tune, that phasing creates like a re type feel to it, which I use like almost all my sounds. If I have two oscillators, they're like detuned between 10 and 25 cents from each other anyways, because I like the way that that sounds. Um, the CSL is like complex oscillator, does a bunch of crazy just ridiculous world breaking sounds. It can be a bit unusable sometimes, but it has such a depth of sound quality to it that it's pretty fun. Um, then kick a two HP kick, which is literally just a kick generator. It takes a trigger and does a kick, but you can do different pitch decay and tone. It's really useful to like add transients to any like line of rhythm that you're doing um, or just obviously kicks. Then Marbles by um, Mutable Instruments, I believe. Uh, that might not be right. But Marbles, it's a random generator, which is eventually basically just like if you like the thing that I was talking about in, in Serum, like if you generate like a random bunch of stuff, like kind of does something similar to that, but you can sync it to your tempo and like do different curves, like smoothly generated or like stepping and like patterns like kick snare pattern type things that you can infuse um a plasma drive distortion by erica fusion which is kind of uh and but it's a it's a plasma distortion that sounds like very future bullshit but it literally runs the sound through like a plasma tube and the distortion that it generates is kind of like a fuzz uh, kind of like zero square in serum, but more like between tube and zero square is like kind of what do you get, but it's like kind of, it's very interesting sounding. I like it a lot. Then just like a, a filter module. Um, then WMD uh, scalpel, which is like a morphing filter. It's, you know, like if you take a bunch of auto filters and do like a neuro type thing where there's like lots of peaks and valleys and stuff that are like morphing between it. That's what I use that for. Uh, another distortion by ritual electronics called miasma, which is like the best sounding distortion fucking ever. Uh, I'll leave it at that. It's just a really fucking great distortion. All um, of these sound really badass. Plasma tube distortion. Dude, I literally was just like following the serotonin when I built this thing. I was like, I need lots of hardware distortion and cool sound sources and then stuff to fuck with it. Um, you made a good move. The, an ADSR unit, which is just an envelope generator. Super simple. Um, Z5000 multi-effect, which is reverb, delay, and then chorus flanger type stuff. Um, just has a lot of cool and great sounding versions of reverbs, delays, and uh, choruses. Uh, mutable Instruments Ears, which is just a contact microphone with envelope shaping. Mm. You can like tap on it, or you can drag stuff across it, make like scraping sounds. Um, you can set like the decay and release of it. Um, I use that a lot as just like a nice like trigger um, that is more playable than just like a like an arcade button, like you can like hit it harder or softer or scrape or like use weird stuff, like drag your LaCroix can across it and it'll create a very interesting sound. Um, then it has to specifically 
be LaCroix, though. No, yeah, it has to be LaCroix. Will work. Uh, only LaCroix. Give us and money, LaCroix. Yes, please sponsor the podcast. Oh, my God. New Sp- LaCroix flavor. Mike touched the outside of the <laughs> <laughs> Softly caressed by a microphone, LaCroix. Yeah, definitely. Um, then just another, like, it's a module that came with this bottom case, which is just like some weird kind of broken sounding uh, sound sources and LFOs. Then uh, Portal, which is a harmonic distortion, which is like wave wrapping. So if you think of like normal, um, like think of like a like sine fold or linear fold in Serum FX distortion wise, except instead of like just folding it, it like goes through the cycle and then puts all of that back into the next cycle up to 50 times. So it can, it literally, it is unusable on anything that is a complex source. But when you take a simple source and run it through it, it is just ridiculous. And since it's a harmonic distortion, it like creates different, um, basically it can like add a lot of warmth to the high end, but it gets unusable very quickly. All that to say it is something that you can't really do in the digital world, which is why I was drawn to it because it's just so different sounding. Um, and then a comb filter and a quad VCA, which I just use as a mixer for the most part, but it has a nice drive to it. So um, yeah, the modulars sound sources that are interesting and a lot of distortion and ways to screw them up. Yeah. It's fun, fun stuff. Now if you have I'm any questions like, about any of this, hit me up. I'll be I'm happy gonna like to show you. flip it all the way over and do like what are the simplest things you can do to get cool results? Because <laughs> I've definitely ruined a hot amount of mud pies by trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, I'm gonna have this distortion and that one and this chorus and this flanger and the phaser and this another distortion and a reverb. And it's just like, and you just end up with a soupy undefined, you know, crispy overcooked sound where it's just like, uh, this didn't turn out as anything useful. I've done that too many times. So if you're starting out, like less can be more. Like if you watch Ill Gates one thing video that he did for Ableton, he talks about mud pies. What's he do? He says, oh yeah, you take your song or your line and you put a delay on it and you record yourself twisting the delay time knob. That's it. That's his one thing. Not you get nine different things. Something as simple as just throwing a delay on there and messing with the delay can make amazing results. You know, you can even like DJ scratch and pitch the shit. It can, you know, you put the ping pong on, you get cool width effects. You know, it's sometimes it's like echoes. Sometimes if you have a shorter, you know, time, you can, it'll, it'll like just be width instead. Like there's a lot of ways you can use something really simple, like just a delay. Um, You can also like just using the pitch wheel, you know, on your, on whatever synth you're doing, like messing with the pitch wheel can, can get some really cool mud pie results where, you know, it's clearly the same sound because that's one thing. I was trying so much to get the craziest sound I could that it didn't sound like the sound it came from anymore. You know, it didn't sound like a new version of that sound. It sounded like a whole different sound that was worse than the original sound. So as long as you're starting with a good sound, you can do pretty simple stuff as well. 
Yeah, coming from the king of making things way too distorted, especially in a mud pie, and being like, no, more, more, more. Okay, no, that's sick. And then like going back and listening to it, I'm like, fuck, no, I can't use any of this. What an idiot. When you're doing mud pies, if if you have that tendency, just like somewhere in the loop, just back down the distortion and just give yourself the option to do less. Also, when you're doing a mud pie, um, think about giving yourself like narrow sounds and then wide sounds. Um, f- like every mud pie that I do, like if it's in serum, like I'll do part of it with like both oscillators just with one voice and then with like multiple voices detuned and screwing with that so that I have bits that when I'm sequencing it, you can have like the narrow sound followed by the wide sound in your sequence. And it makes it feel like this cool bit is right down the middle. And then all of a sudden, boom, like out in the side. So um, think about that as well when you're doing your resamples. Amen. That's a lot of good fodder for your for your future mud pies, Gus, and everybody else listening. Hope that helps a whole bunch. Um, we even got some people in the chat saying uh, saying some cool stuff, uh, like you know, putting utility and redux and turning up the gain on the utility so the redux picks up the sound properly. Thanks, I think Nard. Redux at one bit. Yeah, at one bit. There. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get the get that that real crunchy sound is that like actually like bit reduction to one bit like that is incredibly bricked that is fantastic nard yeah i gotta try this bravo because i i i like using redux to like if i want some like really harsh not well yeah harsh crispy like layer to something a parallel process with a redux at like maybe three or four on the bit reduction. And it just like squashes everything and like really brings out any character in it. Um, But man, I don't know that I've ever gotten it down to one bit. That, (laughs) that is adventurous. I like it. Bit reduction is dope though. It's another good, simple way to like add a lot of distortion and crunch out of your sound that, that is, you know, usually stays useful. Uh, in a lot of ways like uh and oh i want to shout out something that alexandra put me on to there's melda production if you guys go to the melda production website meldaproduction.com they've got like a whole suite of free uh of free plugins that a lot of them are extremely useful for for effects and mud pies a couple in there that i've been using are uh m bit fun and uh m comb uh the mm-hmm. comb filter and the bit crusher um, there's a few others that I've been playing with, but those are two of the most reliable ones in there for me to get cool sounds. Uh, yeah, very good stuff. Super dope. Um, yeah, yeah. Nard also brought up a great tip, uh, asking, do we use auto filter in bandpass to create the vibrato underwater kind of sound? Yeah. For anybody that's not using the LFO and auto filter, and auto pan and those plugins like definitely take advantage of that you can get some really cool like stereo wideness and keeping in mind that the more stereo a sound is the bigger it sounds but the less focused it sounds compared to something more mono if you have build-ups or if you have intros or sections you're trying to make feel really vast 
having that kind of swirling LFO with differences between the left and right is such a dope trick uh, that you can do to really make your sections come to life. And I do that all the time. I just don't use a um, actual note value for it. I'll typically just uh, take the LFO off the right and then I'll resample it a couple times. And now with comping in Ableton, I'll just take kind of my favorite bits and I can get that filter movement exactly how I want it um, so that it's like opening and closing at very specific points in my song. But I love that trick. Y'all should definitely try that if you haven't. Yeah. And shouts to Sephros for saying uh, glitch machines and unfiltered audio plugins. They've mm. definitely got some weird stuff. I've got a couple of each that definitely some strange stuff. If you're trying to like make stuff sound normal, it's not going to happen. But if you're trying to go weird, those those got some uh, some very good, like you said, the presets are really dope. Um, and oh yeah, Nard uh, chiming in on the uh, Redux. He says once you get it to read to the Redux down to one bit, you actually need the gain to get the sound to punch through the Redux. Otherwise, it'll just turn into bleh noise. Yeah, that's that's really the brilliant part because I love how ridiculous the tone gets when you crank it all the way down. But yeah, you're right. It normally just turns into like, like just hiss. Um, but I've never tried just gaining something into it to get more of the character out. So that's what I was like. I need to try that right after the stream because I love Amen. the I love the way that it affects the tone as you bring that down. But I've never actually been able to get it usable. So that seems to be quite the hot tip there, bud. Big yeah, up, Nard. Big up. <laughs> Um, Goosetronics has a good question here. How much do you use arrangement exercises to start tracks? How that about you? That's a great question. Well, um, again, that kind of varies, but um, I, I'll probably do one, you know, maybe about like once a month is probably my rate right now, maybe a little less. Um, I haven't been writing a ton of new songs lately, though, so it might be more if I was in more of a gen. I'm, I'm finishing tracks right now more than I'm starting them. But um, some of my favorite tracks I'm trying to finish right now all started from from arrangement exercises. But really, I think like, you know, anytime you hear a track where you just go like, "Ooh, how'd they do this? That's a great one to start with. You know, it's like one, you know, I was like listening to the local EDM station and I was almost home and this song came on. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need to recreate it quick. Shazam, please help me out. And luckily it was Shazamable. Uh, and then another one where I was like doing track feedback and I finished my last track feedback and the song finished and it cut to another random song on SoundCloud. And it was just like, I don't know what this is, but I need to do an arrangement exercise starting ASAP. So yeah, um, probably about like once, yeah, once a month or once every six weeks. But, you know, I've done a lot. I, I recommend people who are starting out, uh, especially people, you know, trying to get that orange belt uh, or that blue belt, like do one once a week, like make that your daily writing day, like spend your nighttime sessions putting together sounds and palettes and, you know, making making all of that prep stuff we talk about like getting a bunch of cool sounds all together so that when you start the arrangement exercise it's not like oh we need a kick let me go dig through for a kick it's just like we've got like 20 kicks at my fingertips which one sounds kind of like this tune close enough let's go 
what's the kick doing and make the pattern, you know? Um, how about you guys? How about you, Evan? Yeah. So honestly, um, gosh, I used to do the arrangement exercise so often and that like one to four year time span for like, you know, cutting your teeth at production. I used to do it so often, like one in four tracks. I probably started with an arrangement exercise. Um, and as I've grown into, you know, trying to get a bit more, uh, I don't know, experimental with what I'm doing. I found that nowadays when I, when I start a track with an arrangement exercise, I'm too self-conscious about, am I making it too similar to the original? Um, and like, I end up just thinking about it too much. And nowadays, like we've talked about, like the biggest problem is, is no longer, how do I use these tools? It's how do I do something unique with them? And my own roadblock is thinking too much about how someone else would do this instead of just thinking, okay, how, how would I do this? And so I take a lot of inspiration, like always listening to music critically and taking a lot of inspiration for how sections are working. Um, but I've, I've found that nowadays I just kind of end up trying, because once you understand arrangement, you know, like basically you, like there's not a whole lot of like ridiculous stuff you can do with different arrangements. Once you understand like, you know, the, the few different directions you can go with each section, I find my writing process to be a bit smoother when I'm not thinking about what I have to do in that section based on, you know, the, the, the song that came before it instead of like, what, what, what does it feel like the song wants to do here? But I can't, I can't stress this enough that that answer, I don't want that to steer anyone else away from doing the arrangement exercise. If you don't already have like an incredibly solid understanding of arrangement and if you ever get stuck arranging a song, you still need to do more. Um, and the arrangement yeah. exercise cannot be understated how important and valuable it is because it literally is the easiest way to learn effective arrangement techniques and you're most often you're really not actually going to get that close to the song that you started with. If you're not trying to copy it, if you're just using the arrangement and you like the song, like you're, you're going to come up with something completely different anyways. So more, more is better until you have a really, really solid of arrangement, how it works. Yeah. And remember like the arrangement exercise gets you started. I like to tell people like, People are like, oh, I'm not trying to copy other people. Well, it's like, look at the three of us right here. You look at the three of us on your screen. And even though on a skeletal and organ, all that, like all, there's so many levels where we are basically the same person. Our DNA is 99.7% the same. And there's like this little bit of like what kind of clothes we dress in, what our face looks like, what hairstyle do we got going on that makes us easily recognizable as a completely different human being in a lineup. But that's, that's the part like, but like underlying that in a song, like, so the, the lead melody, the patch you chose, whatever the vocal is in the pre-drop, those things make it your song. But like how, how sections are laid out, how buildups are used to create tension, how the drum beat works as a team to make a groove, like all that shit 
is like the underlying pieces that like make a human able to stand up and walk around and talk to you. That shit don't reinvent the wheel. Like you want to make a trap song? Go listen to a sick trap song, figure out how it works and then make your own lead on the trap song. Amen. Um, yeah, I do the arrangement exercise any single time I hear a track and I'm like, ooh, that's different. I haven't done that. Let me try that. Now, as far as arrangement itself for instrumental stuff, I feel like, um, you know, with where I'm at, I have a strong understanding of arrangement and, and how to manipulate it. And I would say a good rule is, is um, I would just call it the two, three rule. I don't even know if it really makes sense if I can fully encapsulate it in this one thought, but basically the third time. If you have a very, if you have like ABC, 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 the third time that something would happen, say the A, if your A is the verse, where verse three would be, typically that's where you want to throw the curveball. Maybe verse two has some sort of variation, but where that verse three would be, instead of repeating again, go to a bridge or do some sort of drastic change. And then if you have, uh, you know, you could have a 17 minute song. And if you always like look at it in those kind of chunks where it's like the last third is some sort of departure. And then you could keep stacking that kind of recursively to build like an infinite arrangement. That's kind of how I look at it. But I still continue to do the arrangement exercise uh, with vocal arrangement. Like vocals has been something I'm going in on for the last couple of years. And there's just no way in hell I could sing like T-Pain or I could sing like, you know, some of these amazing vocalists who are doing all these harmonies and stacks and blah, blah, blah. So that's something I sit down and, and you know, study R&B singers and see how are they doing this? Okay, cool. How are, uh, you know, metal singers doing this? How do I now combine these different styles of phrasing? It kind of ties into uh, Abe's question from earlier. A huge part of how I learned phrasing was through doing the arrangement exercise on other people's tracks and then trying to find commonalities. So let's say in your verse, you got one vocal layer. In your pre-chorus, you got a vocal and then two hard pan layers. And then your hooks, you got uh, you know four hard pan layers and the center vocal. That's such an easy formula that you could just brain like mindlessly do every song and build on top of and get like really articulate sounding vocals. So that's just stuff I found through arrangement exercises. And yeah, I'm gonna continue to do those for sure. That's a really good tip. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna definitely do that because vocal phrasing, even though we, we talked about it already and had some tips, it's still so difficult. And there's so much room to grow, especially for me. Um, and I hadn't thought to do that. Like, do the arrangement exercise with like how a vocal flows and i'm definitely gonna do that this week that's brilliant it really helps demystify like how many layers do i actually need for vocals to make yeah. them sound full and upfront? and it's like way more than you would think when you first start yeah amen so the moral of the story is do arrangement exercises do them on more things than you thought you could do them on yeah. And and feel free to feel free to, you know, combine it with, with what you're already doing and and experiment with it and you know, ask somebody in track feedback or in your sensei session or just a homie that 
listens to good music. Like, is this working when you're making the experiment? You know, so if also that, you know, get up and dance trick, like the main reason mm. for the arrangement exercise is to create something that flows like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like this many bars for the intro and these kind of elements helped build the tension up. And then this is how many elements were there when the drop hit the first time. Like I like to tell people this in my private sessions, like I used to think, oh, the drop's hitting and it needs to be crazy. It needs to really hit people. So I better stack a lot of shit right there. And then I, and then I realized after a while, like, wait a second, I'm at the club and I'm headbanging. I'm going crazy to this song that just dropped. The bass hit and I started going nuts. And I realized like, this is a kick, a snare and a distorted 808. There are three elements happening right now. And I'm losing my absolute shit because it's hitting so heavy. And it's like, wow, I don't need to. Then, like, if you give them everything at once, you've got nowhere to go but down. Now it's like, ah, it's everything. It's confusing. And now it's less than that. And I'm kind of bored. As opposed to like, wow, those three elements sound great. A fourth one comes in. Ooh, a hi-hat. Now I want to move my hand like this. You know, like, and if I hadn't paid attention to the arrangement exercises, I wouldn't ever learn that shit. Like, oh, like all my favorite songs are coming in with way less at the part where it felt like more, but they're doing mm -hmm. it. They're setting shit up well. They're, you know, like in, in, you know, like thinking about things like, you know, filtering stuff out, making stuff small, like listen during the buildup. They, you know, shit gets filtered out. The reverb gets turned up, you know, shit gets turned down, you know, like, the, the far away rack or the drop rack brings everything in and further away. And then boom, everything hits again. Like those kinds of energetic moves that help the flow of the track and make you want to move to it are the, the real parts to be paying attention to underneath the arrangement exercise. Like what, you know, what key is their melody and who cares, right? This song in any key you feel like, how did it move you and why was it able to do that? Like, that's what you're really digging for in there. Yeah, you. absolutely. Um, so Nard has a great question here and I can't wait to hear your guys answer. Yeah. He says, meta question, when you're feeling absolutely drained and out of energy, but you know you need to finish your music, do you force yourself to do it? And if so, what's your ritual for getting your head in the game and pumping yourself full of adrenaline to do music? Man, that is a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the past like month, honestly, I've been on a little bit of a slump for how much I'm working on actual music. Like I'm still getting shit done and doing stuff, you know, I had some releases and figuring out, trying to figure out Facebook ads, the new changes, yada, 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 you know, producing the podcast. But like when it comes to actually making the music, I was really gung ho up until about a month ago. And I was kind of burnt out on my tracks. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to take some time off of these tracks and not dive into them for a while so I can hear them with fresh ears. Because I've, you know, it's like, oh, man, I got to make another set of changes to this song. It's the fucking 10th draft. I'm tired of this shit. And so I just decided not to, you know, and that can be a healthy thing to take a break on for a while. And now that I'm coming back to these songs, it feels a lot better. Um, but I mean, shit, like, caffeine never hurts when you really got to get into something you know like oh you know what uh, i mean like i was kind of tired after work and i knew i had to be on it for this podcast so i made a pot of tea and i set it next to me and i've been sipping tea this whole time and it's a lot easier to talk fast and think fast than it was <laughs> you know uh, about an hour and a half ago so uh 
you know, then, you know, I mean, shit, like what works for you to generally get your energy up working out, going and taking a walk, you know, you know, listening to some music that gets you really pumped up and then jump into working on your music. You know, what's, what's, you know, what gets you pumped up in general? Cause that'll get you pumped up to make the music too. Man, this is such a good question. Yeah. This is like the question for producers because it it's not, it's not like you feel like going through the arduous process of finishing music every day, especially when you sit down and you're a little tired or you're not really in the zone and you want to be excited about the song because when you first made it, like you were really excited about it and you know, you need to get it out there, but then you sit down and you like, just kind of, oh man, like you listen to it, you, you hear some stuff wrong with it and you just don't have the gumption to like fix all of the complicated problems. If, if it's one of the difficult ones, such a good question. Um, I'll offer a couple things that help me, but the, 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 honestly, the main thing to keep in mind with this question is that it is okay to not feel excited about that song you were excited about when you first made it because there's just no way that you can predict how you're going to feel on any given day when you sit down to work on music. It's not a linear process. You can't force yourself to feel better about something. It just doesn't work like that. The only thing that I can say confidently always does help is pushing through that first initial resistance. And if you can make any sort of progress, that will start to build some momentum, some excitement and reinforce itself into getting some progress done. Maybe, maybe you only have enough gas to get an hour's worth of work and you just fix that one difficult thing in that one section that's been bugging you or make progress on it. That's a win. And you got to be okay with the fact that some days you're going to sit down and get a bunch done on that song. And some days you needed to rewrite that drop B and you spent five hours and like just got like the bones of that rewrite done. Like that's going to happen too. That happened to me the other day. Um, some specific techniques that I've found to work. If you sit down to work on a song or something and you feel a little, you know, you, you know, you just don't have a bunch of gas in the tank. Do not do anything other than open Ableton when you sit down at your computer. If you, if you open SoundCloud and check out your stats or whatever, you go to some other website, you go to YouTube and you watch a funny video, like the transition from that dopamine of doing something that's not, not hard to do, that is enjoyable, and then trying to transition from that into working on music, finishing music, which is arguably very hard and mentally exhaustive. It's, it's so much harder to get yourself into that mindset once you've already gotten the dopamine from whatever else is on your computer. Don't check your phone. Don't sit down, open Ableton, and open up Instagram while it's loading. I know that project might take five, maybe even 10 minutes to open if it's really complicated. Stand up, stretch walk around the studio, anything but distract yourself and give yourself any other reason to be focused on anything else. Because the biggest hurdle, like I said, is starting and getting 
anything done, literally the one thing done in that song. And then that reinforces itself into the next thing. And then you start making progress. If you shortcut into literally anything else that distracts you, gives your mind a break, getting that first thing done is going to seem harder. And then it's, it's just a greater uphill battle. Turn on your computer, open Ableton, do nothing else except maybe stretch and yeah. just start working on that first thing. And you, you give yourself a much better chance at actually being able to break through into progress. But like I said, even if you do everything right and you open up Ableton, you start working on it, you still might be like, oh, I'm gassed. I just can't. I, this isn't working right now. And in that case, that's okay. Figure out something else that does offer you some excitement. Maybe you just got a new plugin. Move that session to another day when you need to finish that song and just have some fun in the DAW because that is a way to keep your, basically your mental uh, like approach or your mental like relationship with Ableton positive. If you open up Ableton and every time you got to do something difficult, like you're going to, your brain's going to be like, oh, opening up Ableton is going to be hard. Like, uh, and you get this weird like resistance to it. If you allow yourself on those days where you tried, you really did. You didn't distract yourself. You gave yourself every possible chance to win and you still ah, just can't. That's okay. But then move to something that's fun. And that way you can reinforce like it doesn't have to be hard every time. And then you're still doing something productive. You still feel good about yourself. Still got hours in the studio working on something that's pushing your passion forward. And that way you can kind of, and, and maybe, maybe after 30 minutes of screwing with that new plugin, you're, you, maybe you're in the zone at that point. You go back to that, you open that project back up and you, you're able to get there. Um, but yeah, that's for me, the 10,000 yes. foot view of how to do that. No, I really like that um, to, to touch back on like my, my little, break slash slump where i wasn't feeling like working on music and then i had one day like okay actually some of these i gotta get back to now you know really how am i gonna start this feels like this big pile of songs and i like looked through i had i've you know the notes that i got from feedback and i found one that had like the fewest easiest notes and i started there and i was like all right cool like 20 minutes i was able to get all those three notes knocked out and bounce that track and it was like yes i got one done i did it oh man it feels so good so starting with something easy to get that like that adrenaline that dopamine that serotonin whatever chemical your body needs to start going and whatever whatever internal cocktail like oh yes i did it and then before i knew it i had i had finished four drafts in the evening I didn't, I was like dreading getting, I was like, fuck, I don't want to do this. This is tough. It seems like a mountain of work. And next thing you know, like four of the tracks I had to work on are done. And I was like, oh, the seal's broken. Like I, I can just do any of these whenever now. Cool. But yeah, sometimes starting with the easy thing helps. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, I have a few mindset things, a few practical things, but I want to just be the first to say I am not the best at moderation and i am not the best at uh you know chilling and taking it easy and all that kind of stuff and i lead myself to burnout you know a couple times a year let's say and um 
take this all with a grain of salt. That being said, I found the more I can stay focused and keep a good overview of where my priorities are, I don't burn out. And so the first thing I would say is figure out how high up on that priority list music is. And then every time when you have personal time, ask yourself some comparison questions on what is my to-do list and ask yourself for everything. Is it mandatory? Does it need to get done by a certain time and when? And how important is it? So maybe family's first for you and then it's music, right? So be picking up your kids first if that's up on the list. But, you know, I don't shower on a day where I have the whole day free. I don't do dishes. I don't do bullshit like fold clothes. I don't do anything because the t- the place time escapes you is not in that thing that will obviously take you three hours. It's in that thing that you're like, oh, this will take me 10 minutes. Oh, and then I might as well do this. That'll only take five. And then bam, your whole day's derailed. So fuck that. That is the literal devil is those five to 10 minute little time wasters. You need to be really weary of those. And yeah, straight up on the days where I know I have a full day, I'm going to be a stinky boy. My dishes are going to be dirty and I'm going to be at the computer all day because it is really hard to get into flow state. And once you're in it, do not underestimate, you know, what it means to get to that point. Like sometimes that means not eating, you know, and I'm not saying any of these are good things. You know, sometimes that means not getting to that thing that I probably should have done, but wasn't mandatory. So fuck it. I'm gonna write a song because nothing's getting in the way of today. That's the kind of mentality I have that helps me get through that. Now on the uh, other side of that coin, I also don't do anything musically that I don't feel like doing. So I know how exhausting it is to come home after a hard day of work and try to be creative. So I don't try to write a song. Or if I got an hour, I don't want to get an hour into a song. I want to use that hour to successfully complete a task. And because I'm showing up every day, I want to be stacking wins every day. So I don't write a track unless I'm feeling creatively inspired. So the way I see it is I have an available day where I'm feeling productive and creatively inspired. That equals write a track. Then I'll have days where I'm not feeling creatively inspired, but I'm feeling productive. I'll either work on an old track or I'll do some kind of uh, session. I'll make instrumentals. I'll make drop ideas. I'll make whatever. Then I have days where I'm just exhausted and I feel like life's kicked my ass. Maybe one out of 10 or 15 of those, I will actually be so wiped out that I will just take the day and chill. But more often than not, I find... I'm just overwhelmed by the thought of I need to write a song. And so I will kick back and I will watch Family Guy and I will dick around. But I do a sound generation session like I mentioned earlier. And I only need to keep one headphone in and I can see what Peter Griffin's saying and and whatnot. And I can make 300 bass noises while using 1% of my mental CPU that I definitely have in most cases. So. I I also on the contrary, by the way, if I have a full day and it's a writing day, fuck sound design, fuck arrangement exercises, 
all of that, it is purely a writing day because you definitely have all of the content you need in that moment to write a good song. Don't feel like you're lacking anything because it gets you in that scarcity mindset. You have all of the tools available, even with the stock stuff your dog gives you to go in and make a song that you would be proud of. So yeah, go into full creation mode, not editing mode, not sound design mode, none of that. Be very mindful of your time. Uh, now, I also try to consume music related content outside of work just to keep that residual kind of attention there at all times and keep a part of my mental CPU constantly thinking of what, what I want to do next musically, how to move forward. It's honestly a huge part of my life. And at sometimes I feel like I'm a lot even for my music friends sometimes because I'm all in. But figure out to what extent you're all in, because if you, you know, if you value anything more than that, you're going to want to make time for that. Um, and lastly, some of the other things I think about are one day you're going to want to make music and you're not going to be able to. And that's the last day that you will have made music is going to pass you right by without you even knowing it, probably. So think about that intentfully and deeply and think about what it would feel like to really want to do this thing you love and you are not capable of doing it. And um, the other thing is, again, depending on how high in your priority list music is, um, you know, maybe the uh, your mileage may vary. But one thing I think about is like, just because I feel a certain way, and again, you know, keep your mental health in check. But just because I feel a certain way doesn't mean I can't get something done that day regardless. And I know the thing that's going to move my career forward is not how I feel, but it's about what sort of output I have. And so one thing I think about is like, all right, I've chosen that I want to do this as like the center of my life. This is what I feel like I was born to do. So in those moments where I feel creatively exhausted, again, I make it easy for myself to do something and stack some sort of win. But I also just recognize like, all right, I've chosen to take this one step farther than most people will. So this is most people's breaking point. So it's just like, hello, I've hit a road. I've hit a milestone. Like we got to keep it rolling anyway, because I haven't chosen to do the amount of work your average like hobbyist would do. I've I've chosen to take on more work. So getting to that point is just like, all right, we're getting started now. You know, I try not to get overwhelmed by it and like let that thought consume me of how much I have to do. But it's just like, all right, cool. Let's just keep it pushing little bit by little bit. Here is the supposed breaking point. Let me just try and keep pushing it a bit by bit. And oftentimes I'll just fall right back into flow state and keep it moving. So yeah, you know, think about that. It's uh, how bad do you really want it and, and keep working towards that. You know, I obviously want to see everybody come up, but the little competitive side of me is like, oh, okay, bet this is what most people would have stopped. All right, cool. Let's kick it up times two. Let's get that coffee pot. Let's, you know, let, let's keep it rolling. Yeah, there's, there's, there, you make a good point on that last bit as well with like, whatever you can do to like, get that little extra bit of motivation. Even if like 
maybe maybe you shouldn't have a pot of coffee at, at 8 p.m. if you got to work the next day. But if 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 you really are on a deadline or like you really like I'm going to do this, like follow that. That like sometimes like pushing to the to the nth degree of what you should or shouldn't do because you you love this. That is like like a like almost like a healthy indulgence in your passion, right? Like take it take it over the top. Like it you know, don't do it all the time, but like sometimes it feels like to just really like nope, like I'm having a pot of coffee at, at 8 p.m. F this, like this is what I love doing. I'm not feeling it right now and I'm going to make myself do it because I there's nothing else I'd rather do with my life. And like using the macro as like the the guide to like sometimes just really indulge in, you know, hammering down on that thing, you know. Amen. So yeah, you, you only yell once. So don't <laughs> forget that ninjas. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. I mean, just a big old mic drop on that, you know. We uh we covered some good ones. Thank you everybody for the great questions. That was yeah. a really fun. Big up chat. chat. Yeah. Big, big up chat. Up the chat. And uh, you know, holler at me on the interwebs. I'm at Luke Rain Music or at what would trap Jesus do wherever you want to follow me. Tesco, how do they find you? I am Tesco on all socials, and I thought of one more gem. This has probably <laughs> been the biggest life-changing thing for me personally. Uh-oh. Let's go. Is I there was a bit in a Joe Rogan special or something where he was talking about um oh he was just talking about how like part of being stupid is you're not aware that you're stupid. So if you think you're not stupid, you're probably stupid. And so just recognizing that I am a dumb monkey trying to get through life and, and my body is pulling me to do monkey things. And I'm trying to have this greater purpose and all that is that I'm not always going to be on my best behavior. I'm not always going to have a hundred percent motivation. I'm not always going to want to do the things I should be doing. So I just make it hard to do the things I shouldn't be doing. I cannot stress how important this is. Like, I still play video games, but very, 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 very rarely because I unplug my system after I'm done using it. And I put the game back in its case and I put the controller away and I unplug the TV and I make that hard. On the days when... um I really wanted to go in on recording vocals and I was in my apartment. I flipped my couch on the side and made a makeshift vocal recording booth in the center of my apartment so that I literally could not do shit else. And (laughs) I went in for that week. And that's really the way you have to do it is recognize that if everything, 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 you are not exempt. Everything in nature follows the path of least resistance. So if you want Whatever your greatest, greater purpose in life is, make that the path of least resistance. Make everything else way harder to do. And you will more often than not do the thing you're supposed to do. And on the days when you really don't want to, fuck it. Treat yourself. Have that ritual of plugging in the PS5 and packing yourself a bowl and all of that. And and 
go in that day, but put it away when you're done so that tomorrow you're not fighting your own willpower to get there again. Amen. Love but it. yeah, I am Tesco on all socials. <laughs> oh yeah, so I thought he had dropped the mic, but nah, that one, he uh, just fucking end zone spiked that shit for us. Wow. Boom. I like hey, it. I'm not going to lie, dude. That's like been it. the biggest thing, like biggest game changer in my life. Get mentors, get people that are going to keep you accountable, people that are going to make sure you show up when you don't want to and, and make that shit hard to do that you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. Accepting that you are a monkey and everything else is working working against you. You gotta you gotta accept that to actually make progress. Yo, that. you ever see that meme where it's like um it's like when you come home from a hard day of work and it's a business dude, and then the next picture is a chimp and it says return to monkey. And it's like <laughs> M-O-N-K-E, and it's like really like primitive looking monkey picture. That's how it feels for real. It does. Return it really does. Monkey. Yeah, I gotta, well, I gotta do that every once in a while for sure. Go full, go full ape mode. On yeah, my, you got, on you got to sometimes be like, nope. Yeah, fucking binge on some shit and get high and eat all the bad foods and okay, cool, got that out of my system. Put like you said, they yeah. gotta put them all away. Yeah. Otherwise, they're all just definitely. sitting there. It's like, oh, I mean, there's cookies on the counter when I woke up, so that was breakfast. Fuck. <laughs> right. my day off wrong. <laughs> Oh man, what a bow! What a bow! What if? Uh, How about know, you, Evan? Where do uh, people keep up with these amazing releases that you've been putting uh, out lately, and that you're going to continue to put out? <laughs> you can keep up with me at all the socials at Rip Kenny Music uh, everywhere. Pretty simple. Um, sh- shout out Nard for the fantastic question, by the way. Yeah. Shout out all y'all! Thank yeah. you so much real, for kicking it with us. Real shit. And, uh, yeah, glad you were here questions. too, Nard. <laughs> chiming in, in the yeah. chat big up chat big up friends yeah. thank you for kicking it with us tonight this is a hey, shout out frostbite um the release is probably going to be in two three weeks from when we film this yep shout weeks. outs to everybody in the live chat you can catch us live on dojo tv every other week if you're a fan and you're not doing that you're missing out come hang yeah and if come not holler at us at the human music podcast.com and subscribe on your favorite places and Leave comments and likes and ratings and reviews. Hit all the shit. buttons. Smash, Hit every button. Smash buttons. <laughs> Leave positive comments. It helps. We appreciate y'all. And uh, peace out. And of course, peace among worlds. Woo! 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 <laughs> <laughs>all right humans thank you so much for hopping on that was another great episode big up chat for those dope questions you know make sure you smash that like the subscribe drop a comment rating review help us get out to more producers just like you because it really does help you'd be surprised we highly appreciate all that stuff Please support our sponsors. If you're supporting them, you're supporting us. First, Dojo TV. It's free. Like this podcast, you will love Dojo TV. Next, the weekly download where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 230 more episodes in the archive. Just 20 bucks a month. That's five bucks an episode or less on weeks where there's five Wednesdays a month. Uh, guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. High key, the best engineer we know. Super high level mixing and mastering. 
engineering knowledge that you can get from this dude. Your first class with guest practices is free, so you can make sure you know how dope it is before you spend any money. Finally, once your tunes are sounding all good from the producer Dojo and from guest practices with Seth Drake, you can get them out to all the streaming services with Gangaroo Records Music Distribution. Unlimited uploads for under 10 bucks a year. Not a better deal out there, people. And uh, make sure you tune in with us next week where we're set to be back with Paige Turner, somebody who's done a really good job at getting his beats sold to tons of rappers. You'll definitely want to hear this episode. Really looking forward to bringing it to you. So, till then, peace out, humans, and peace among worlds. I like it. <laughs>